Last week, we decided that we're going to do something different for maybe a few podcasts. Who knows? Uh, Because it's summer and we're enjoying the summer and it's hard to deep dive on something when you're not even coding all day, every day. There's so many cool little topics we want to touch on because that's what we're dabbling in in the summer. It's experimental summer. So just like we did last week on the pod, if you haven't go listen to that, go listen to that. We're going to touch on some topics, but we have a theme, Frank. We got a theme. What's the theme? Oh, the theme this week is great because it was made up by you, I assume, about 10 minutes before the show, but it's <laughs> it's upgrades. Upgrades. There's a whole podcast called Upgrade, by the way. It's it's a great podcast. You should oh. listen with Jason Snow. Anyway, we are going to talk about like when's the right time. And finally, we're not going to talk about for our apps because we usually get into that dependency thing where we just talk about our apps and how we don't want to like update the SDKs for our apps. We're not going to talk about that this time. I swear we're not, though we might. We're also going to just talk about devices because we're, we're in a device mood too, right? So we're, we're going to talk about all the upgrades. Yeah, I think so. And the first one actually came from a Patreon listener who was talking about new Xcode requirements because at DC they announced Xcode 15. But additionally, there's new Xcode 14.3 requirements that require, I got, let me look up Mac OS. <laughs> it's Word. hard. It's hard. You need a chart. You do need a chart. Specifically, I believe they were running Big Sur, and I believe that the latest versions of Xcode require Ventura. Ventura. Uh, Ventura, which is like the latest. And in fact, Xcode 15 for sure will uh, require Ventura. Um, not Sonoma, which is the newest, newest one. Uh, but it has you always thinking, right? Because I still have my MacBook. I have my MacBook Pro 13-inch from 20. 20- 13 when I joined Xamarin a decade ago. And it's it's a beaut. It's a beaut. And I resisted, Frank. I resisted the upgrade. And then Apple was like, well, you can't ship apps anymore. So what do you do? <laughs> oh, they're so rough. They are so rough. You know, every time like I, I, I don't know. I'm an old timer and I like to support as many. See, I, I did. I, I got to talking about SDK versions here. I like to support as many old versions of my apps as I can of the OS. But Apple has been really making it hard, especially lately. And now they're making it like they're getting very aggressive with uh, your 2013. I'm, I'm curious, does that cap out at Big Sur? Because w- when we were thinking about this topic, I, I had to ask you, I'm like, I have a 2017 iMac Pro. Can I even, it's it's on Ventura. I know that much. I am currently on Ventura. And according to you, I can even get the latest X code. But Sonoma, you were telling me, uh, am I am I out of the Sonoma party? No Sonoma for me? Yeah. So for Big Sur specifically, this one supported a lot of devices uh, and it did, in fact, support the MacBook Pro late 2013, which is the model I have. So it was the very, very last one specifically. And it did not run well, uh, basically, (laughs) at all, for all (laughs) intents and purposes. But yes. uh, So Ventura, you know, here's where it becomes interesting. Ventura, which Xcode 14.3 and 15 require, um, specifically are going to be your MacBook uh, Pro and iMac 2017 or later and MacBook Air 2018 or later. So we're talking five, six years uh, in general. But Sonoma 
Those are your MacBook Pros 2018 and your iMac 2019. So sorry, MacBook Pro 2018, Mac Pro 2019, and Mac an iMac 2019 or later. So we're only talking five, five, four, five years here. Yeah, four. According, if you, I know the, the the names of these computers don't exactly match their release, but hmm, four. That seems yeah. low. Uh, you know, the problem with growing up during the crazy 90s is I felt like simultaneously there was a lot of growth, but also I wasn't buying computers as often, even though you'd like go try to buy a new video game and say new requirements and decide whether your computer could actually do it. The problem is I grew up in the 90s and time is compressed in your childhood. Like everything seems to take so long because your brain is just moving too fast or something like that. And time just is incorrect when you're a child. And I felt like things move more slowly. But four years, I mean, that was definitely the 386 to Pentium switch. The problem is computers have really plateaued. And so like, have they really improved since the Pentium 166? It's debatable. <laughs> so I... I, I do feel like four years is short, but at the same time, I wonder if I'm basing that on just childhood perceptions of time. It's hard, right? Because with these machines, as they progress, it's not like you can just go upgrade your CPU or put in a new MOBO, right? You got to buy a whole new machine. And that's really where it comes down to at the end You're of the right. day. And and it's funny, the example I was thinking of, the Pentium example, I we literally had a 486SX computer. This is the one without the math coprocessor. But we bought a Pentium chip and put it onto the same motherboard. Didn't even take out the 486, just left it there. I, I assume it was like playing Minesweeper or something while the Pentium did all the work. Yeah, you used, you can still upgrade computers these days, but, you know... Every time I try to upgrade the processor in one of my PCs, I end up buying a new motherboard. Like even those aren't so great to upgrade. Ah. No, yeah. And and if you're upgrading, you know, little slim down machines like this is my my Surface laptop, or you have a MacBook Beautiful. Air, you're you're uh, there's not even I'm sure there's little nubs or little screws under here, but I'm not opening that up. You know what I mean? And it's probably all soldered Someday. on something. I always told myself when the computer's 10 years old, I'll actually crack it open and have fun. Like, I, I'm almost excited when a computer breaks because then I can just open it up. But I haven't opened up Apple laptop in years. It's probably just I haven't, pretty boring in there, too. My MacBook Pro 2013 has been, it's in a drawer. The poor thing. It's just been there for two years. I refuse to turn it on. But I'm, <laughs> I'm concerned not to like get rid of it or like donate it or something. I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah. That's, yeah, it's it tricky. It Do donation might be okay. Um, yeah. You have to find a good place. Uh, donation's hard. There aren't many people that do it because it turns out computer donation services are not profitable. So it's hard to find good mm -hmm. ones. Apple will take them back. They'll recycle them for free. Even if it's old right. and they don't give you any money, they'll, they'll pay that's for recycling, it not reuse. It's kind of yeah. nice if you can just get it to a kid. Like, then again, you did say you upgraded the operating system and it doesn't run so well. So if it's not running well, then maybe it is better to tear True. it apart. <laughs> That's the problem. All right. On to number two. 
which I, you probably won't even have to worry about because I've been doing this on the side, which is one thing that I like about Apple, okay, is that Fraud. they introduce an API. They introduce an API, okay, StoreKit. Now, Frank, they've added to StoreKit. In fact, there's a StoreKit too. There's a StoreKit too. It's been there. It's been, it's, it's hanging out. It's lingering. It's sprinkling its store kit dust all over the place now, but I haven't, I haven't touched it yet because it's not required. Who knows when it's going to be required? Maybe it'll never be required. I do not know, but store kit one, they've added on to it, but here's the thing about store kit. Let's say that you're making purchases. Things are purchasing. You could continue to purchase the exact same way with the exact same code forever. Nothing changed. It's like, it's the same stuff. Now they've added a new API so you can get additional information. You can do stuff. There's new ways of gathering information and your subscriptions that they've evolved. Android, uh-uh, uh-uh, mm-mm. They're like, let's just change the API every year and a half and require <sighs> you to update no. your billing libraries every two to three years with <sighs> brand new source code, okay? Now, they've done this twice because they had... The Android billing library, and it seems like every two versions, they're like, we're going to break everything. All your APIs are completely different. Nothing works exactly the same. Good luck. And like their documentation, subpar. And I was getting I was getting ready because this August and November are the dates that Android billing library V5 is required. You get it in the portal. It's super nasty. I'm getting tons of issues on my GitHub. People are like, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? I'm like, I'm going to do it. And then I looked at the change log and I was like, I'm not going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to have to plan this out. And then Google I.O. happened. And guess what they released? Android Billing Library V6. Why did they do that? What are they doing? Why? Stop it. Slap. Now, V6 and V5 are pretty similar. But like, what is going on here? Like, knock, cut it out. Google in your library changes. It's drastically different. It's not even the same. It's not even the same. It's very upsetting. And I got to upgrade. Everyone's got to upgrade. This is ridiculous for a core piece of functionality. It is so disheartening and so frustrating, Frank, in so many ways. Cut it out. Cut it out, Google. Was cut it out a a reference to Full House? I just have to ask. Cut it out. Yes. Yes. Okay, excellent. Just just want to make sure. Reference acknowledged and all that kind of good stuff. This is the same company that supports eight that releases eight thousand support libraries and then broke how the support library system works and now releases double the number of support libraries because they're like, well, eight thousand libraries isn't enough. What if we release sixteen thousand libraries? And what if at Android X we break them? That company you're saying just arbitrarily breaks APIs that talk to their arbitrary store API service? A, a, a shopping cart? Can, can we just call it a shopping cart? Because that's what it is. Yeah. A yeah. shopping cart API keeps on breaking. Because is it really that hard? Have none of these people written PHP websites? Like we, we, we used to write stores like this in our afternoons. Okay, that's old man rant over. Uh, new modern programmer is James. You just right click and say upgrade NuGet, and then like nothing changes because because no one breaks APIs anymore. So do they? 
the can can, can just can, can we go back to an old podcast find a rant where i ranted about semantic versioning and how it's ruined software and please insert it here <clears throat> thank you Boom. uh end of rant <laughs> yeah here's my I'll put my diff. I have a, I have a pull request on my in-app billing uh, plugin that is is doing this. And you can see specifically that, I mean, it's even silly stuff, right? Because I had to change a bunch of my APIs, but there's silly stuff. For example, they're like, oh, instead of calling it like skew something, now it's product skew. Instead of like, you know, item skew, yeah. it's product. Like, what? What are you doing? Knock it off. It's just really, 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 really silly. Just some of those things were just like, why are you doing that? It, it's just, and in fact, I started this pull request in like March and it was called start implementing V5. And now mm-hmm. it's V6. So <laughs> in general, it's just absolutely. And, and I'm assuming they don't use support libraries for these things. So you have to code five and six separately, or can you code just six? Just six is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had a, the funny part is they had an upgrade. They had an upgrade doc, which was like upgrading V4 to V5. But then when V6 came out, they're like, here's that upgrade from V5 to V6. And they got rid of the other doc. The other doc's like gone. Yeah. I was like, what are you guys doing? (laughs) No way. Uh, Okay. Yeah. It's real bad. Okay. Yeah. I had to do all sorts of craziness. And then it's even wild because now like every subscription can have like different things underneath it like they're like offers or whatever and then like they upgraded every single subscription to have a default one and like they're like it'll fall back it'll work but then like maybe not in august or november like but when will it stop working google i don't know and i'm terrified and um yeah it, it, it's it's all out there though i upgraded it the the seven the my v7 uh which features support for v6 is is out there in the wild so it's bananas i I hope you actually please please actually link to the diff if you will in this podcast so people can go see it because it is the most inane changes like you described i i assume they changed the graph structure the allowed topology of the graph so that they allow these nested offer items in other words they finally added coupon codes to their stupid shopping cart um, yep. But it's the trivial changes that I agree with you. It's like we we move this field that was named one thing into a subfield, and now it, we also change its name just to be as especially spiteful. These are these are exactly again. Please copy and paste the rant from semantic versioning into here. These are the changes that I hate that people feel entitled to do. No, yeah. if your API is ten years old, you can do these changes. If it's younger than that, no, you are not allowed to do these changes. <sighs> They're doing this every year. It's mind boggling. It's very upsetting, Frank. It is very upsetting. It's so upsetting that I upgraded my C sharp language version from version nine to version 10. <laughs> I needed to use Don't new you... modern features. <laughs> I love that. My code is so old and I have so many projects that like I'll be in a thing and I'll just start using a language feature. And they're like, you're using a C sharp 10 feature. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. And they're like, your project is set for C sharp seven. I'm like, really? <laughs> Oops. That old, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Anyways, rant done. All right. New thing. Let's talk about the new hotness because everyone's all about the tap to pay, Frank. And people around the world beside America have been tapping to pay in forever. And people are paying with their phones. Did you know you could pay? You could tap with your phone. Boom. In fact, when I go to the ATM, the Atom, as I like to call them. The Atom. Okay. Yeah, the Atom. When I go to the Atom, 
I don't even, I don't even have, I just tap my phone. Boom. Cause it uses that newfangled near field communication. I don't know if you've heard of it, Frank, it's only been around for like five decades, but the iPhone <laughs> cutting edge got it four years ago, three years ago. And, um, upgrading that wireless communication. I believe Frank, you're playing around with it after the, after 25 years of it being an Android, it's now available. I waited 25 years for the, the technology to mature. Then, you know, the API was introduced four years ago. So you got, you got to let that mature a little bit before you look at it and all that. Also, I should mention, I, I learned in New Zealand, it's called pay wave, pay wave. You pay, pay wave. I waving pay wave. I like it. Pay wave. It's, it's, yep. Pay wave. Turns out you can do other things with NFC. You can open doors at, I don't know, hotels, and corporations, yes. <laughs> places that have that kind of stuff. Hey, maybe my front door someday also. Well, anyway, um, this is all just a short way of saying that, yeah, I've actually been starting to get into NFC, even though, it, yes, it's ancient technology. But the iPhone only got it a few years ago, and they actually only added API access of couple years ago like for a while it was pretty locked down to just doing paywave <laughs> hey, now yeah finally apps can actually access it and i'm starting to play around with it uh with iCircuit, and it's gonna be a little bit fun where you can have like an nfc element that actually uses the hardware on the phone to do something interesting these these are like old features i used to have in there so like in iCircuit, if you put a gyro component in it would actually read like the gyro off of the phone uh accelerometer would actually do that if you put a microphone element in it used the microphone on the phone mm. and it was all fun in the early days because like the phones had all these little devices on it and i was just giving you easy ways to access those devices and then the great peripheral winter happened we just didn't get any like new interesting devices on the phone for a long time they had a, a magnometer even that's pretty old we just didn't get any new devices they added cameras because they keep adding cameras but it's just fun to see like an actual new piece of hardware that does interesting things i don't know if they're using it for their new bump technology probably not they probably want to support uh, phones that aren't NFC. But on the upgrade theme today, I just want to say I'm getting I'm getting all the NFC phones because it's fun having a new little wireless technology to play around with. That's not annoying Bluetooth. You've dealt with Bluetooth. It's annoying. That's not annoying Wi-Fi. It's just something simple and easy to program. Well, the cool thing about NFC compared to Bluetooth is that NFC is just already is kind of always there, right? Compared to yeah. Bluetooth, where users can turn it on and off, you have permissions like the NFC is always there. And the cool part about NFC, which is similar to Bluetooth, is that you can read and write and core NFC also has that ability built in and Android has this forever, right? So which is super great. But I do think it's really, really neat that these, you know, tiny itty bitty tags are built in. In fact, I was watching a video on YouTube. I don't know if you do you know that you can watch videos on YouTube? Frank, I, I assume there are 32 pixels by 32 pixels, 10 frames a second, and it takes at least an evening to download. But I guess you could transmit video over the Internet if you waited yeah. long enough. Tran transmit nice and slow. Uh, I've been <laughs> watching. Uh, I, I watch a bunch of coffee videos, as one would assume by uh, James Hoffman, who is a very big coffee influencer in the world. 
And James did this video on uh, this new coffee machine where you got like these capsules that were actually like coffee, but you tap the thing on top and then you pour the coffee beans in and it grinds in it. And the NFC like knows the recipe of it. So the whole idea is, I don't know a lot about specialty coffee, but I want this machine to make cool stuff for me. And I thought that was really neat. I was like, whoa, NFC technology kind of doing a thing. That's kind of neat. But the funny part of it all was that I'm getting way off track. But the funny part of it all was that the whole like one of the shticks that they had was like, oh, like you can compost the cup or whatever, except for the NFC tag. So you got to take that off and like throw the NFC tag away, (laughs) which is hilarious. Yeah, I guess that's true. Silicon and plastic and metal doesn't turn into dirt. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But oh, that's a little bit. Sorry, I, I've I've yeah. heard of those like little cups having like barcodes on them because you could easily just put a QR code or, but you would need a camera for a QR code. Whatever you could do some kind of scanning thing. It's interesting that NFC has been commoditized to the point where they actually thought, just put it on the little cup thing. Put it on there. Yeah, I think the Nespresso, the new Nespresso model, has a barcode scanner, and then that's how it knows how to do whatever yeah. on it. I've I've he, he, he broke that down too. Yeah, which is kind of wild. 1980s tech the nice thing about 1980s tech is it's usually low power so you can mm-hmm. just put a little little scanner in there real lickety split these days <laughs> versus real uh, fast the complexity of nfc my favorite technology like you know we're talking about upgrading and all these things that we're talking about barcode scanning cameras blah blah, blah. but honestly the qr code i mean i know you need a camera and a device but the qr code is really nice and i'll tell you what my favorite feature of the qr code is it's giving um, a QR code for your Wi-Fi network. Now, every every place should have this. Every coffee shop, anything like this, you can you can go and you can create a, a QR code. And you pull out your iPhone camera. It's like boop 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 boop, and you can put your the the SSID and the password, everything in there. Boom, you're good to go. Why type anything anymore? Doesn't even need to do it. And then it's brilliant. It's amazing. We're really you do with NFC too, now. by the way. NFC, you can do that. By the way, you can also NFCify it and tap to connect or whatever. So both of those are really cool. But just yeah, the you know the camera, the universal. It's always there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, QR code, good stuff. I I have to mention for the Wi-Fi. There's also apps on. So if you have a bunch of Apple devices, they can share passwords through the magic of Apple, whatever. It's cool. Um, but if if you have a friend with an Android device, you're like, oh no, how do we share the Wi-Fi? And until the two companies ever agree with each other uh, on Android, you can get cool little apps that just generate that QR code, put it on the hmm. screen. And then the iPhone users can just scan the Android code very easily. Uh, nice. I'm sure there's iOS apps that do the opposite. Yeah. Just a little hack for your QR codes. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, Everyone, I, I did a lot of Airbnbs recently. They all should do that. They should Most, all a do lot that. Do. Makes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Makes so much sense. Uh, okay, let's get on to the next e- topic because this kind of has a, everything to do with uh, coding, machine learning models, gaming, so much more. Now, Frank, I am rocking a GeForce GTX 980. Oh, do they? Uh-huh. Is that from the 80s or is that from the 1990s? When when did they make that video card? Nine series is... Uh, 
2014. How's that? <laughs> okay, it's not that old. Okay, it's, it's more than four years though, so it's not Apple approved. Uh, this is a topic I wanted to talk about because um, I like to buy GPUs. Uh, it used to be because I was into graphics, and now it's because I'm into neural networks. Either way. I keep finding myself in need of buying very expensive GPUs. And I wanted to, I was excited. I just had to tell you before the show, I'm like, James, did you know that GPUs are actually cheap now? Like, (laughs) we went through this terrible point in time. I think it was Bitcoin based and I don't know what else people are using GPUs for, but GPUs were expensive. They were super overpriced. You couldn't get them. They were all sold out. They were selling for over retail. Who buys anything for retail, namely? And over retail, you got to be insane. And so uh, (laughs) we are in a final place where you can finally afford to upgrade your video cards again, vaguely. And I, I thought, A, that's exciting. That's why I wanted to pick this topic. And then B, I have some sad news about it. But how, how do you feel about the GPUs being affordable situation? Well, that excites me. I mean, I still need to, I upgraded everything to Windows 11 recently, and I probably need to upgrade. I probably need to build a whole new computer, to be honest with you. But my <laughs> machine's working great. I don't really play a lot of games. I don't do a lot of machine learning. So my 980 from whenever it was a high-end card. It wasn't a TI, but it was up there. (laughs) Um, I feel good about life. Like I really feel like I don't really need to, I don't think I need to upgrade at all. I think my, I'm think for 10, the next 10 years, I'm going to keep this card going. How do you feel about that? Okay. 10's pushing it. Eventually, like, I mean, do, do you run the latest DirectX on there? Can that, can I do that? No, no. Yeah, you're you're really pushing it. Windows 12 may not support you. We'll see. Actually, Microsoft is fantastic about that kind of support. It'll support you, but whether the video games do or not, that's a whole different question. Okay, a little bit of sad news. So it's it's nice they're affordable. You can actually like, did you know? I I have a I, I mention it as often as I can an RTX 3090. Did you know that you can now purchase an RTX 4090? It's a thousand wow. better, James. A thousand. That's good. <laughs> I really good. want They used it. to go up by a hundred, but now they're up by a thousand. So wow, times yeah. 10. It's 10 times better. Oh my God. It's so much better. And so I, I was feeling a little bit of the FOMO. I was like, wow, my 3090 is looking a little long in the tooth these days. What 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 are these high-end gpus like these days and i did something i don't normally don't do i signed up for a cloud service and i got some cloud gpus and i'm Ooh. like you know what i'm gonna be a engineer slash scientist and i'm gonna actually take neural networks that i personally use that i want to use on these video cards and just spend some dollars see how they run yeah just for science right that's why and i'm sure they're cheap too uh, they're rough. So the one I chose, and there's Azure ones, but I, just for simplicity, I chose uh, Google Collab. And they have a thing where for $10 a month, you get 100 compute hours. However, I learned in retrospect, a compute hour is not what we humans think of as an hour. Oh. It is a marketing ploy. What they really do is multiply a bunch of random numbers together to oh, compute great. your compute compute hours per second. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. That that sounds yeah. good. Yeah. 
So I really wish they would just call them what they are, computer tokens, and be like, I get a 100 tokens a month, but God, just grow up, Google. Call it a token or stop playing this hour game. Anyway, the nice thing is they have a drop-down dialogue and you can choose your GPU, blah, blah, blah. So there's this other video card, James, the A100. I've always wanted an A100. All the was cool it AMD people. or is that NVIDIA? What is it? It's still NVIDIA. NVIDIA has such uh, monopoly in this case. It's, so good. It's all NVIDIA. Yeah. Uh, people make custom hardware, and I hear that custom hardware is good. They do have TPUs on Google, but it's all NVIDIA. Uh, so I ran my neural network on a $14,000 video card. That's what an A100 is. That's eBay prices, too. Oof. Who knows? Man, during the during the Bitcoin stuff, that might have been a thirty thousand dollar video card. Wow! Uh, I ran my neural network on there, and it was twenty percent faster than on my thirty ninety RTX. Hmm. So I was a bit disappointed. Um, full disclosure: there's probably like ways you could take advantage of the video card better and all that stuff, but that's not what I'm looking for. I'm like, I have a piece of software. I have. I want that software to run faster. I'm willing to spend dollars to make that software go faster because I'm not smart enough to make my own software faster. And I was greatly disappointed that even if I spent $14,000, I would only get a 20% improvement. So in this episode of upgrades, I want to tell you about an upgrade I'm not doing. I'm not upgrading my GPU. (laughs) Science has taught me that there's absolutely no reason to upgrade my GPU. If anything, my GPU is old. You can get it for $1,100 now. I might just buy a couple more of them because they're cheap now. And, you know, just just double down. So reasons to not upgrade. Well, I'm surprised that you can even find them, actually, because with the AI infusion, you know, now really the GPUs are going into data centers. And actually the most recent NVIDIA, you know, quarterly report of their stock is like, I mean, you want to see a, up into the right. Whoa, boy. That's just wild. It's bananas. Well, it's like 185% this year or something like that. That's the interesting difference. So during the Bitcoin era, let's call it whatever. You know what I'm saying? Cryptocurrency craze. Yeah. Consumer grade hardware. You could make money on consumer grade hardware. There was an arbitrage situation. If you could afford the hardware, put it in a machine, you could make dollar bills. There was a very simple thing. The problem is all these big networks, all your GPT-4s and your co-pilots and all that stuff cannot be trained on consumer-grade hardware. Hmm. These, The A100 that I mentioned, that is a server class uh, chip that you put. You don't even run on one A100. You run on 100 A100s or 1,000 A100s, and you pool their memory together, and you pool their compute together. There is a staggering orders of magnitude power difference in what the consumer stuff can do versus what these big, proper, scary AI models need. And that disconnect is becoming bigger, which is sad. You want there to be a middle ground. You want stuff to happen on the consumer stuff and we'll we'll still find where that is but we've definitely created a big schism right now yeah it's super fascinating because i don't even know what i would buy going into it because my 980 is good i do well the interesting part too is when i play games i don't really install 
PC games anymore. I use the Xbox mm-hmm. game streaming stuff. So all my compute, yeah. all my GPUing is happening in the cloud. Talking about renting device, you know, renting GPUs. Yeah. I mean, Forza Horizon is looking beautiful, and <laughs> my computer can't do any, it can't render any of it. You know what I mean? But it's running butter smooth, sixty frames per second. It's impressive. Right. Um, I, I'm just assuming you don't have what I call island internet. So with island internet, I don't believe I could get quite the sixty frames per second. <laughs> Well, talking about island internet, let's talk about this because for our final topic today, Frank recently moved to an island and Frank recently upgraded to Starlink. Now, here's the RV edition, which means that that we use Zencaster to record these things. So if you're doing audio or you're doing video, the only thing that would really happen is that maybe there's a delay between me and Frank. So we'd be talking over each other. Now, we've been podcasting for 375 billion episodes, so we're pretty good at looking at each other and figuring out when we're talking. But when we do do video, like things are uploading in real time, things are happening. So he's very pixelated to me right now. But for you, if you're watching on my YouTube, it's very crystal clear. So you've been using Starlink for like six, seven, eight months now. What is the review and what are you going to do? Is it worth it? What's the breakdown when you were upgrading the internets on the island? Right. Okay. So quickest Starlink review ever. I got to say, <laughs> I I am blown away and very pleased with the service. That is Frank's review. That's what I want etched into my tombstone. Frank approves of Starlink. That That's on my tombstone. Yeah. Um, but with that, can I put 8 billion stars and caveats? Okay. So okay. all that <laughs> is true relative to I live on an island and the only um, internet access that Sorry, the the one most people have that is guaranteed to be available is telephone DSL. Old tech, it's very slow. Sadly, Mm. they could probably do some upgrades. They could probably make it faster, but they haven't done the upgrades and it's not faster. Uh, There's an alternative that is fiber optics. And so my review of the Starlink is always with a little a giant pink elephant over in the corner me looking over at the pink elephant as i review the starlink here but okay starlink review what an amazing device um it comes in a nice box it's a nice color it's very nice you pull this very heavy thing it was way heavier than i thought it was going to be out and you stand it up and it has this little stand and you'd stand it up and it's like plug me in you're like what do i do and it's just like plug me in so you plug it in and you download the app, and the app is really responsive and really nice. And it's like, I found you a Starlink, and it's connecting, and it's trying to find some stars. And you're like, great. And then you watch the animation in the app, and then it's like, all right, buddy, you got internet now. That's amazing, everyone. I don't know. Maybe people have been using satellite internet longer than I have, but that that's amazing. So it gets good reviews for that. Where it doesn't get good reviews is um, the uplink speed. I can actually tolerate the downlink speed just fine. I average about 50 megabit. It's fine. You know, for watching YouTube and that kind of stuff, it's fine. Downloading Xcode, it's a little bit annoying, but it's fine. Mm. What really kills me is the upload speeds uh, when I'm trying to Twitch stream or when we record this show or when I try to upload a neural network to Hugging Face. Then I really feel the pain and suffering of the upload speed. But I want to say, as a service, amazing. App, amazing. Hardware, amazing. Download speed, okay. Upload speed, ugh, not good enough. 
Uh, makes sense. I think that's been my my main problem. It's ever since I moved out of an apartment that had, uh, you know, gig up, gig down, basically, whatever the fiber <laughs> was. It's, it's always just amazing and it just works brilliantly. So I totally, I totally get it. Well, it's good to know. And so you're going to be getting new internet. What's going to happen now? Well, uh, the problem is uh, I, I wanted to give Starlink a good fair shot. So I wanted to use it mm. for a few months and see how it felt. But I think what my my sad conclusion is that I should have gone with my gut and gone with the fiber optics right away. So I will be doing the fiber optics. The problem is I dragged my heels on it. And now it's summertime and they got to do construction. They got to like dig holes and put glass inside holes, inside dirt, inside air. I don't know. It's complicated. They got to do that. And then wires got to come to my house. And then a wire has to get from there to my computer. Like, I don't, do you just jam the fiber optic into the back of the iMac? Is there like a fiber optic for it? So I assume I got to buy some more networking equipment. So it's just a whole project and I stink at projects. So. Ah, that's all to say. Thank goodness the Starlink is okay because it's going to take me a while to upgrade my internet, but I will. Well, there you go, Frank. We've upgraded and you can see if you're watching this on YouTube, it's gotten darker here where I live, which is why (laughs) Have you noticed I've been getting like dramatically darker (laughs) and just it's just my it's just my screen. You, you I'll, I'll turn this on. Ready? Hold on. I thought Wait your camera it. just had a noir mode. No, no, it did not. Uh, well, the question is, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I can't get that working. I thought I was going to get my. Oh, can I get both of my? I changed all my Internet because I upgraded my Internet Wi-Fi. And then now it's just like, oh, I can't find half of your. Everything is so isolated that it can't find half of the wi-fi devices anymore you know what i mean security it's for your safety if those devices could talk to each other god knows what they would say to each other can only find one now come on elgato i give up i do enjoy watching your background shift Uh, all right well frank i think that's gonna do it um for this podcast and if y'all want to write in and you have topics of upgrading or other things that you're interested in, write to us, mergeconflict.fm. You can, there's a contact button. You can hit us up on Twitter, on Mastodon, on Patreon, on YouTube, on anything. If you do like this podcast, feel free to share it with a friend. Be like, hey, check out this podcast that I'm listening to. You can rate and review on platforms that support rating and reviewing. And um, if it doesn't support rating and reviewing, you can just rate and review us by sending us a tweet together at MergeConflict.fm or at Proclarum at James Montemagno. That's going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for watching and listening. Peace. Peace.